Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Chris Wise about keeping an open mind, staying curious, and being willing to learn from others as we lead. Chris Wise, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Great. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Yeah, it is great to be with you. I'm excited to have a nice conversation. Today, we're going to be focusing on keeping an open mind, staying curious, and willing to learn from others as a leader. Now, hopefully, as I say that, everyone listening is thinking, well, duh, of course, we need to be doing that. Yet, my experience uh, in interacting with many, many organizations across the world is that this isn't something that comes naturally to a lot of leaders, especially those who find themselves in senior leadership positions and executive level positions. So we're going to unpack this. And while we go about unpacking it, we'll talk about things like authentic leadership, uh, human-centered, meaningful leadership and conscious organizations, and some of those other cultural elements that are also going to be very essential as we try to stay open-minded and move forward in a positive way. As we get started, I wanted to share Chris's bio with everybody. Chris Wise built several companies early in his life and learned from rapid growth, failures, and eventually burnout. This journey gave him the opportunity to elevate the business approach and personal development needed for sustainable health and success. After selling two national businesses, Chris's focus has been on delivering a fresh sense of clarity and experience to business owners, helping them bring profitability and balance to their vision. Chris has traveled the world speaking, coaching, and mentoring businesses to gain extensive experience across many industries and cultures. He has studied and been mentored by industry experts, top business leaders, esteemed personal development and spiritual coaches. He now has a unique perspective, dimension, and approach to life and business. He uses the most effective business strategies and is also a thought leader on LQ, Love Quotient. Through his work with LQ, Chris has developed a revolutionary business consulting advisory approach with help, which helps business owners integrate self-love and care into their business while they create growth and profitability. At Wise Profits, Chris helps business leaders achieve their scaling goals while taking care of themselves through comprehensive self-love. I love all of that. Wonderful background. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before we launch on in further to the conversation? Uh, no, I think that's great. I, I would just throw in, which I, I, I don't think it was in there, was that where I learned the power of love was actually when I spent 19 months in federal prison. Now, that's a whole story that that could open up, but there's, there's quite a bit there uh, as well. That's really where the, you know, when I saw the, really the power of love in the face of violence, uh, now I'm bringing that, what I learned there into the consulting work I do. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you. So as we get into this, um, let's start by defining things a little bit and trying to understand what you mean by open-mindedness 
curiosity, um, yeah. the willingness to learn, because I think that can mean a lot of different things to different people. Yeah. And I think everyone, I mean, pretty much everyone is going to say, yeah, I want to be open-minded. Yes. I want to be curious. Yes. I, I want to learn continually yet. I'm, I'm not so sure most of us actually do that well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would define open-mindedness as the willingness to try on um, a new perspective or a new way of thinking. And, and I would say that um, deeper than consideration, I would say consideration is the surface level of open-mindedness, your ability to think about a different way of looking at something. But I, I think that doesn't actually do the full justice of, of actually being able to embrace or experience uh, um, another thing. So I would say, you know, there's consideration, but then there's actually trying it on, which you actually allow a uh, emotional experience to occur through a new different way of thinking or thinking through a situation of like, hey, if I approached this situation with this new belief or framework or strategy, can I play that in my mind? I think to me, that's the, um, it, the, it, the most uh, or, or a good way to look at open-mindedness. Now, just as a, as a caveat to this, sometimes people are like, um, uh, this has happened to me. People are like, oh, you're not open-minded because you didn't do what I wanted you to do, right? So, so sometimes people are like, you're not open-minded if you don't use their suggestion. No, it's like, no, you're at least willing to try it on and really take on what they're suggesting. You know, that, that to me is open-minded. Yeah, I, I like that. And really with trying to set your preconceived notions, biases, assumptions aside, and to, I, I like the way you frame that of just trying it on um, to just really be in that space and to really try to experience it. I, I think that's so critical. And I think that's where often we fall far short. I think we have good intentions. I think most people want, you know, nobody wants to be labeled as a closed-minded, um, you know, biased uh, bigot or anything like that, right? Uh, yet we all tend to have biases. We all tend to have prejudices and implicit biases. And, and that's just part of the human condition. We all tend to have those in one form or another. So the, the question isn't whether or not they exist. It's whether or not we can acknowledge it and then proactively try to counteract them and set them aside so that we can experience something new, something fresh uh, and, and like you said, try it on and, and just really have that uh, interaction with it. And that can change uh, your mind. It can, if you're truly open to it, it can change your mind. Uh, I, I think of, of some of the most transformational experiences that I've had where my worldview has been shifted and it's come through interacting with people who are very different than me uh, from very different backgrounds where maybe I had a bias, a prejudice, um, I had an assumption about who they were, why they were like that, why they did what they did. And then just being with them in a real human experience helped me understand that, hey, you know, we're, we're actually very similar. We're not that different. Um, they have very good reasons for what they do, just like I claim to have good reasons for what I do. And that can help break down those barriers. Yeah. And I think it, it, even if you don't take on or you like, you know, that, that new way of thinking doesn't feel good to me, or it's not what I want to embrace at, at a bare minimum, it can give you access to greater empathy to for another person's perspective, especially if you're in a collaborative or co-working or 
community type of space, it at least gives you greater sensitivity and empathy to embracing, to understanding how to navigate with that perspective in the space. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. So if, if we can set as an assumption for this conversation, that open-mindedness, the true sense in the true sense of trying it on, really experiencing it, <clears throat> and staying curious, being willing to learn from others. If we can start with the assumption <clears throat> that that is truly desirable, that's something we want to try to achieve. Um, then the question is, how do we go about doing it? Any yeah. thoughts on that? What some uh, some uh, initial steps on opening ourselves up? Yeah, I would say the probably biggest yet probably most unspoken about is what I see is the greatest thing that holds people back from being more open-minded or being able to take on the perspective of another is not feeling safe in their own body. And what that expand, expanding that out to me, not feeling safe to experience fear, sadness, loneliness, discomfort, loss, uh, whatever, emotions that could come up from trying on probably discomfort might be one of the biggest ones, whatever emotions might come up from trying on a different perspective or thinking about something differently. If there's a lack of safety in the body, it will prevent the ability to fully be present with those emotions. And if you can't be present with those emotions, it won't fully let you step into a different mindset. Yeah. So understanding ourselves first is what I'm hearing you say that we have to do um, the self-reflective work, the introspective work to understand ourselves, what makes us tick, why we do what we do to find comfort with that, to, to, to feel, um, that we understand where we're at and in that, uh, we're, we're good with it. Uh, only then can we truly start to understand those that we interact with around us who may approach life, approach the world in a very different way. Is that right? Yeah, and also I'll break it down into these intelligence paradigms, right? So we could look at mindset and your intelligence to understand, process, think through, navigate, recompose, um, you know, as an intellectual exercise. Um, so I would put that in the IQ realm. Um, then there is the emotions that you'll experience and your awareness of those different emotional experiences. We can put that in the EQ realm and your ability to recognize the emotions that you're having and to be able to communicate about them. Um, and, and then in terms of the safety and actually being able to be fully present and be with those emotions, I'm gonna put that in the LQ realm, the love quotient realm, because you can have super high EQ. You can be aware of, hey, that's fear, that's sadness, that's whatever, but your ability to actually be present with fear, to be present with discomfort, um, that is a function of how deeply that you have loved yourself. Because when you, this is about raising your LQ, when you have really learned how to connect and love yourself, um, that is what creates greater internal safety so that you can actually be present with these emotions that you've learned how to recognize through EQ, which then enables you to have greater expansiveness and your ability to navigate IQ. I really love the way you break that down. I think that's excellent. We talk a lot about EQ um, and emotional intelligence. I like your focus on LQ and the love quotient. And I, I do think that that's an, a really important facet for us to, to better understand as we try to expand our capabilities, um, both individually and as leaders. And everything we've been talking about up to this point, you know, certainly applies to individuals. It applies to us, you know, at home, 
uh, in our communities and our families, but it certainly applies at work and it applies as leaders. So if I'm going to be an effective leader, I need to learn how, you know, the importance of and, and learn how to truly keep an open mind. Um, what do you see as some of the ways we can go about doing that as a leader? Because oftentimes, frankly, the, the way organizations are structured, um, it, it undermines our ability to keep an open mind and to stay curious and to continue to learn uh, because we're placed in a hierarchy above other people. Um, arrogance and ego can often easily get in the way. Uh, people get promoted and they have a sense that they you know, have a, a higher level of, of skill or understanding than other people around them. It is very, very easy and very pervasive that we see uh, people rising in the ranks of organizations and becoming less um, emotionally uh, intelligent, not more so. Um, at least that's been my experience. So, so how as leaders can we foster this kind of a, of a curiosity and tap into this love quotient component that you're talking about? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, well, first, I'd just be cautious not to throw out hierarchy out of the perspective that as, as, uh, as certain individuals can rise and get more power or get um, uh, more attached to the identity that is being formed through the success of their rise in the organization. We don't want to make hierarchy bad because of the way that certain people operate uh, it, through that. Um, what I think in those particular cases, we want to we want to look at well, what are the mechanisms that are, are are causing those the arrogance or the lack of transparency or the things uh, that are causing um, you know LQ. Um, can address those, of course, if the person is open, um, you know, you know I, I see that um, control, right? When we, when we look at, um, I think probably one of the biggest differences between a um, open, transparent, embraceive culture and one that is rigid, cold, um, uh, you know, your your, like your typical corporate, I would say is control. Control is the dynamic um, that um, uh, doesn't feel good. Like you could, you go into an organization and you can feel it. And control 
the 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 sort and in in, in in the the way that these cultures get formed and the way that these individuals operate, um, it, it it starts from the individual, right? From leaders that are embracing a control-based perspective. And of course, there's all varying degrees and the amount of leaders that are embracing this could just be one that then in, they, you know, has that impact on the culture. So I see that the core root of control is a lack of internal safety, right? When, you know, and then I would say one of the different opposite flavors of control is vulnerability. When you have somebody that can be vulnerable, vulnerability, to, you know, when you begin to view vulnerability as a strength versus a, a weakness, um, it, it is so attractive. It's, it's, it's like one of the most attractive human things of like, here's my, uh, can I use profanity on this podcast? Sure. <laughs> like, it's like, here's my, here's my shit, you know, and I'm just here. I'm a human being, right? It's just like, wow, I, I like you. Like, I actually like you that you would say that, but in, that's not being in control. That's, that's being open. Um, and, and so there's all kinds of different, for someone who is wants to be controlling and is lacking transparency and is um, wanting to be having a different perspective, like typically there's, there's roots of needing to be, um, there, there's roots of fear. Fear is the source, one of the sources of control. And when we learn how to really love those parts of ourselves, um, when we infuse greater love into ourselves, our, our grip on control lessens and we begin to shift and, and have greater access to, to those qualities that people find attractive and actually create healthy cultures and, and, and transparent and authentic leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. There's no like one size fits all kind of organizational design or structure that's necessarily inherently better or worse. Right. It just depends on um, the organization, uh, the strategic approach, the competitive marketplace, like all these things play into how we want to structure things. Um, so we have to take a systems approach and understand the structure, understand the the uh, the various components in the mechanisms, as you say, um, that can either support and undergird and, and really help sustain healthy, meaningful culture or might be undermining what we're trying to accomplish. So I appreciate you calling that out. And I think that's absolutely important. And you mentioned several times in, in the last couple of minutes about this, the importance of a healthy culture. And I completely agree. If we can foster an open mind and really um, a growth culture, a curiosity culture, a learning organizational culture, then that fundamentally is a more healthy culture than a command and control culture, right? Um, we've all experienced command control and there's, there's a time and a place where command control can play a role and can be effective and important, but the vast majority of the time in most workplaces day in and day out, that's not going to be a very effective, sustainable approach to leadership. And so we need to be more vulnerable. We need to be more open. We need to model for our people uh, how, you know, through our vulnerability, how they can also be vulnerable. We can model for them uh, that, you know, sometimes things don't work out and that's okay. And we don't need to frame everything that doesn't work out as failure. Uh, it, it's just something that didn't work out. We're going to learn from it and we're going to pivot and we're going to do better the next time. As we create that kind of an environment, then the sky's the limit in terms of what we're going to be able to accomplish over time. And that's a more healthy, psychologically safe environment. Um, I know something else you talk a lot about, and it's re in relation to this love quotient, is 
leading in such a way that you really have a human centered approach where you focus on meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and a conscious organization. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that and, and how that taps back into open-mindedness and a willingness to learn on an ongoing basis? Yeah. Uh, so meaning and purpose, um, you know, and this ties into, you know, having a very clear mission, having a very clear purpose. Um, you know, people are being attracted towards companies that are doing more than just making a profit. Um, I think it's actually very reflective of um, a company that has a, that's in the, moving in this direction where, um, you know, impact and whatever that, that could look like in whatever different forms into whatever, you know, stakeholders in the organization, uh, whether it's your customers, your employees, your suppliers, the, the, the environment, uh, your, your community, um, and then of course your, your, your shareholders, um, you know, actually there's, there's stakeholder capitalism. There's a couple of different movements that, that are happening right now that actually, that talk about how do you have a, a, a conscious approach to, um, managing all stakeholders. Uh, and I, and I think, um, that thinking of like, oh, all parts of an organization are important and valuable. And how do we actually create, um, the right strategies and have the right metrics and KPIs to measure how all of these things are interacting and the, and the actual results that we want to have for each of our stakeholders. Um, that stakeholder approach um, is actually reflective of companies that are looking to embrace broader mission and purposes, um, or, or it's, a, it's a pony. You can actually, there's, there's, there's two different things, your mission and your purpose, and then uh, having a balanced stakeholder approach or, or having those in mind. Um, when, when people, well, first off, the leaders that are doing that, there's a, already a certain level of, of, of awareness and consciousness to of why those things are valuable. But when people step into an organization that have those things, there's already greater community. There's already greater connection. There's already greater of like, I'm a part of something that means and matters beyond me just doing my day-to-day -day job and getting a paycheck. I'm a part of something that's making a difference. And that creates connectivity. It creates meaning. And um, as, as leaders are learning more and more how to embrace all of these different elements, how to, how to actually align impact and profit, how to actually, it's, you can have both. You don't have to sacrifice one for the other. Like I, I, I'm, I'm all for the perspective, you can have it all. As a business owner, as a business leader, you can build an organization that is massively profitable, making a massive impact, and you actually feel good in the process of building that of course, you're, oh, there's always problems. There's always challenges. That's the nature of life, but you can have it all. I like that. And, you know, I, I, I think shooting for the moon uh, is, is always a good approach. And like you say, we're going to have problems and setbacks and challenges, and we may not always reach our aspirational goals, but we can certainly shoot for the moon or the stars. And I, I think we often sell ourselves short in terms of our uh, potential and what we can accomplish. Uh, so I love that. Uh, my last question, what, what do you, would you, I'm sure you've heard this before. What would you say to those who hear you talk about love quotient and just say, oh, that's just mumbo jumbo fluff. Uh, that doesn't actually matter in business. How would you respond to that? Well, I'd say we're human beings. And <laughs> if you think, I mean, we're, that's who runs an organization. I mean, maybe if it's an organization full of AI, right? So you could probably find a business case where, but even though AIs might be interacting with other human beings and you would still want your AI to have a level of love, 
uh, built in to, to how it's communicating. We're human beings. Like if we don't have love, physical touch and, and, and love as babies, we die, right? Like it's just human beings. And so that's, that's all I'd say is we're human beings. We want love and the flavors of love, care, compassion, understanding, empathy, kindness, who wouldn't want that? Those are all flavors or different reflections of love. And in addition to that, I mean, you, you referred to it earlier. I mean, we have the human case for why we try to have a human-centered, people-centric organization. Um, and I think you've made a very impassioned, well-articulated uh, plea for that in our conversation today. Um, and you know, many leaders are thinking, well, human case, whatever, but I'm going to focus on the business case. I'm going to focus oh, on okay. the bottom line. Yep. But I would say, and you referred to this earlier, that it's not an either or. It's not like you can only have a really successful money-making business or yep. you can have a people-centered organization. In fact, yep. there's so much research on this that shows when you have a people-centric, meaningful, purpose-driven organization where you care about your people and you support them, they're going to be, where there's psychological safety, there's going to be more innovation, there's going to be more uh there's going to be more creativity. There's going to be higher levels of productivity, commitment, engagement, all of these things that drive bottom line results for the organization. Yeah. So ultimately, I think the business case for the love quotient is exactly what you have said, and that we, we need to have human-centered and people-centric organizations in order to have a sustainable, meaningful uh, company that's going to continually add value to the marketplace and simultaneously take really great care of their people. Yes. Yeah. The business, the business case is there. And I think uh, I'll give you a couple. So there's um, the S&P 500. Uh, then Jim Collins came out with good to great uh, 10, 15 years ago. And it said, hey, the companies that have that are using the good to great model and part of the good to great model was servant leadership. Um, which is a, you know, to me, it has love integrated into a process. So you're serving. How do I serve others? That's a reflection of love in action. Um, those outperformed the S&P 500. I don't know, five or eight years after that, uh, Raj Sisodia came out with a book, Firms of Endearment, which goes even deeper into um, integrating love into a practice and talks about a conscious approach to business, a balanced stakeholder. Uh, and those businesses outperformed the good to great businesses. Uh, and there's more and more business cases that are coming out um, that that do show this, and of course, you know, you, there's always the, the the out. There's always the companies that like have love and then are just failing. Well, that's just because they might have a bad business strategy or they don't have a good sales team, right? So you got to have both, right? You can't. You, you can have a great culture, but unless you got a great product and you have all the standard business stuff, it's you know, it's not going to work. You could have a soup. Everybody loves each other, but you're you're broke. You're not you're not profitable, right? So it's possible. It's like oh no, but it. You know, it still might feel good, but you're losing money. So it does still take, right? Just because you have love and in a great culture doesn't mean you still have kin. You still got to have good business practices and stuff that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you today, Chris. I know the time. I need to let you go here in just a minute. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your team, your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah. Um, so my website, it's wiseprofits.net. We're experts at scaling companies. Uh, we have a particular niche in working with SaaS-based businesses. 
Um, and I've created a um, impact and profit index because I think it's really important that when you're somebody who's looking, you know, a CEO or a business leader that's looking to maximize both impact and profit, there's actually some really key questions to think through about how well those are integrating and interrelating. So I created a quick 10 question um, assessment. Uh, it's free if you want to take it. Um, and once you take it, I'll actually send you back. This is a personal way that I can kind of give you some insights on, on where you're at. I'll actually send back a personalized response um, to your assessment. And you can get that if you go to wiseprofits.net forward slash impact, you can take this impact and profit index. And I think just the questions alone will give you some really good insight into how well you're, you're balancing and optimizing both of those. Wonderful. Thank you, Chris. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Chris and his team can do. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.